Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This week is Pasha's Shmini, and it's also Pasha's Para. And we're going to start learning about the halachas of cleaning and kashering for Pesach. This will be part one. Hopefully, we'll divide this up in between three weeks. So let's understand first what we're trying to accomplish through cleaning. There are really a few different aspects of this, so it's good to know why we're doing what and more importantly, as we'll hear, where we're doing what. The Torah commands us not to have chametz on Pesach in two ways. The Torah gives us a mitzvah, a mitzvah sasei, and a mitzvah slay sasei. The mitzvah sasei is called tashbisu, to get rid of chametz, and the mitzvah slay sasei is bal yeroya or bal yimate. You shouldn't see chametz, and you shouldn't find chametz in anywhere in your domain on Pesach. Now, both the mitzvah and the lesesei are referring to a kezayis worth of chametz. That's clear. That's what the chiyuv, <coughs> excuse me, minatera, is for a kezayis, an olive-sized amount, however much that is, a sizable amount. However, there are two reasons why even less than a kezayis can be a problem, and it can even be a problem in a tyra. Number one, if the individual pieces are found in one vessel, they combine to one kezayis, even though each one individually is less. So, say, a bunch of Cheerios in a plastic bag would be considered one kezayis, although each individual Cheerio is less than a kezayis, and subsequently there would be both a mitzvah and a mitzvah not to have that in your possession on Pesach. A few cookies in a drawer, or even a few pieces of a cookie in a drawer would be the same thing as well. The drawer would combine them into a kezayis. That's number one. Number two, secondly, we have a rule that we don't do Averis even halfway, right? We don't eat a half a kezayis of something which is treif. So likewise, we don't do a half a kezayis of chametz because that's also an Avera. Now that being said, there's another concept, that food, which is so small and so in- inconsequential, is bottle me'elav. It means it just like becomes part of the floor. It's nothing by itself. So unless the food item has some worth and would possibly be saved, it isn't really a problem in our terrace. So crumbs essentially are something which are nothing by themselves, especially once they're scattered, so wouldn't pose a problem in our terrace. However, a, a Cheerio or a half a cookie is something that has, you know, it's, it's distinguishable and it's edible as is and it has a chashivus. So those would be an issue. So, but crumbs are less because generally they just are bottled in that chashuv. So as far as the obligation to do bedikas chametz and remove all chametz from your house, which is what we clean for, there are different opinions regarding this, but the accepted opinion is that one is not required to look for tiny crumbs. It's not what you're looking for when you're doing bedikas chametz, and it's not what you're looking for when you're cleaning the majority of your house. Now, that's good for the bedrooms, and that's good for the basement. But there is a place where tiny crumbs do make a difference, and that's in our food. We can't eat something on Pesach which has even the tiniest crumb of chametz in it. This, in this way, Hilchus Pesach is very different than the rules of the rest of the year. Even a tiny drop of chametz is not batel, cannot be overlooked, and will render food unedible. And that's why when it comes to cleaning out drawers, counters, cabinets, which will be used for utensils, pots and pans, or food items, there the cleaning needs to be done extremely well. 
And as a result of this necessity, Kal Yisrael extended that form of cleaning to other parts of the house as well. And that, you know, every person has their own way of going about that. But the the Rosh, who is a, a Rishon, <coughs> he writes that Kal Yisrael Kedoshim, they're holy, and they scrape their walls clean. And that's presumably he's referring to in a place, you know, where it's around food, probably in the kitchen. But regardless, that's a, it's a measure of holiness when a person applies themselves to try to stay as far away from hummus as possible. But again, this really is applicable to the kitchen, to places where you're going to be storing food for Pesach, where you're going to be storing dishes and utensils and silverware for Pesach. So there, that's why we clean it very well. We try to move any shred of hummus that there is. We even paper it. We cover it. We kasher it. We do all that we can that there should be absolutely no chametz. Outside of the kitchen, though, that's not necessary. So when cleaning a bedroom, in, you know, check the drawers, make sure that your children didn't hide uh, cookies or, or granola bars there. But it's not necessary to empty out the drawers and turn them upside down and shake out any possible crumbs. That's not really applicable outside of the kitchen. If a person has a minute to do that and they want to, they... Yisrael Kedoshim they're welcome to, but it's not, it's not obligatory. Pants and jacket pockets and backpacks, backpacks clearly do need to be checked, and we, you know, we know, maybe we don't even want to know what's in there, but children do stuff food in them, and that kind, in that situation, the chametz would be combined into one kezayas through the pocket, so if it's a pocket of a child who's likely to have stuck food into it, it should, it should be checked. If a person is not planning on being home over Pesach, and I'm talking about now that your house is really going to be empty, but no one's going to be using your house over Pesach, so you have one of two choices. You can clean your house and do a full B'dikas Chametz before you leave, which is wonderful, and it's a way to do a mitzvah, and that's, 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 that's beautiful and the best thing to do. But that's a lot of work. Not everybody's up to doing that kind of work. So you have the option to sell your house so that you don't become obligated in Medikas Chametz. And we write, we write it up in a, the star, that, you know, the document that we sell to the guy, and this is included as well, so you're not obligated to, to uh, do Medikas Chametz. However, although you could do that, the ideal thing to do is sell the house besides one or two rooms so that those rooms you will clean, and you can be mekayim the mitzvah of B'dikas Chametz there. And this is what the Paiskim say is really the ideal way to go, because it's not really right to totally get yourself out of the mitzvah of B'dikam. Um Just as we, do, we always do the opposite, we try to obligate ourselves in mitzvahs. We wear tzitzis, even though we don't have to wear the, that our article of clothing, we do it nonetheless to, our, to obligate ourselves in mitzvahs. We always look to obligate ourselves in the mitzvah and try not to get out of it. So although you don't have to do the B'dikah in the whole house, but it's good to leave a room or two that have, you know, that Hamid does go into that room and clean it out and do the Mekayim, the Mitzvah of B'dikah's Hamid there. So, uh, you know, I say a room that typically Hamid goes into, uh, I'm saying don't leave a bathroom for this Mitzvah. That's not really the right kind of room. It will be a room that Hamid goes into once in a while, and that kind of room, clean it out, and be Mekayim, the Mitzvah of there. It doesn't require necessarily the same intensity of cleaning as when you're staying in the house. You're not living there. You're not going to be eating there. But this way, you're making the mitzvah. You do a good cleaning. You vacuum up each the room. Remove the chametz from wherever it's kept. 
and that's uh, and that and that and that and that's how you can be mekayim mitzvah. Even if you're going to clean your whole house for Pesach and you're not going to be there, it's much less intense than the kind of cleaning you do when you're there because you're not going to be eating in the kitchen. You don't have to cash the kitchen. You just have to make there's no chametz there. You have to make so it's basically the question of vacuuming and checking more than anything else. But it doesn't require papering. The the doesn't require turning over a kitchen. You don't have to empty out everything and, and you know. And, and totally drain it out because you're, you're not going to be there. So you're looking mainly for this kazayas of chametz, a larger piece of chametz or a collection of chametz that could be an issue. So even if you were to clean your whole house, it wouldn't be as intensive and as, as big a job as it would be when you're actually cleaning because you're going to leave there, live there. So if possible, it's a wonderful thing to do to be mekai in the midst of dikas chametz and then it wouldn't even be necessary to sell your house. Next week, in Mitzvah Shem, we'll discuss kashring. So just to review, what we've learned is that the, there's a Mitzvah Saseh and a Loi Saseh. Ba'al Yeroah Ba'imatzah is a Loi Saseh. The Mitzvah is Tashbisu, to get rid of Chametz. That Mitzvah really applies to a Kezayis. However, the, a drawer or a pocket or a bag can combine pieces into a Kezayis. And also, we don't want to do an Avera even on a half a Kezayis. But if something is so small and inconsequential like crumbs, then it's just not considered food, basically, and it becomes bustle by itself, and that was not, doesn't really obligate us as far as these mitzvahs are concerned. And therefore, when we clean for chametz, we're not really looking for those tiny crumbs unless it's in a place where it can get into our food. And then we do do an extreme cleaning to make sure even tiny crumbs aren't there. And that's why in our kitchen we do an extreme cleaning, but outside of the kitchen it's not as necessary. This week is Parshas Shmini, but it's also Parshas Para. Parshas Para means that we take out a second Sefer Torah and we lane an additional portion from the beginning of Parshas Chukas, which tells us all of the halachas of Para Aduma. Why do we lane the Parsha about Para Aduma? Because at this time of year, when the Beit HaMikdash was around, Everybody had to become Tahar. Everybody had to make sure that they weren't Tameh so that they would be able to bring a carbon Pesach. And the process of becoming Tahar took at least seven days. And the preparation of a Paraduma took even longer. And, you know, there was, and probably there were a lot of people that needed to do this. So it was done in advance. So that's why we lane it in advance of Rishchaitish. So it's important when we lay in this parasha part, it's important to think a little bit about how different Pesach preparation was back in the time when we were able to bring in carbon Pesach. Just think about it. We, we have to clean our houses and we have to turn over for Pesach and we have to make Pesach food and that's overwhelming. But for the people of the time of the Beis HaMikdash, that was the easiest part. In addition, everybody had to become Tahar, step one, which was a job. And then all your clothes had to be tar as well, or they would just make you tummy. And everything you were going to use had to be tar as well. And everybody in the house had to become tar, the adults to the little babies. And everybody then also had to be very, very careful not to become tummy again. Then the first days of Pesach were not spent at home. Every single family packed up their food for Yantiv, packed up their clothing and whatever they could take along, and trekked to Yerushalayim to spend first days of Yantiv there. Erev Pesach, you would arrive in Yerushalayim, all, all the cooking had to be done already. Now, Erev Pesach wasn't the day for cooking. You were already on the road two, three days before Pesach. So Erev Pesach, we would arrive in Yerushalayim, find an open spot, 
if we're lucky, people would be able to get a room in someone else's house. But otherwise, you have to pitch a tent in an open space, and it had to be within the city's walls because carbon Pesach could only be eaten within the city's walls. So it's kind of crowded. And that was even outdoors. Erev Pesach itself, everybody got themselves a lamb and made their way to the Beis HaMikdash where there were long, long lines because every single carbon Pesach had to be brought. You held on to that lamb with your dear life. And after it was shechted and the blood was brought onto the Mizbeach, you had to bring it back home. And you had to roast it in time for the Seder. Now, in a year like this year, where Shabbos is the first day of Yantiv, it was a tremendous crush because you can only start bringing the carbon Pesach in the afternoon, like after 1.30 or 2. And you had to wait your turn, so it could take a couple of hours before you got your turn. And then you had to rush back and have the roasting and cooking all done before Shabbos came. And I, did I mention that another carbon was also brought, the Chagiga, which also had to be roasted and finished before Shabbos. Now, this was done with everybody's whole family. No one could stay home because everybody was obligated to eat a carbon Pesach. Then, on the first day of Yantiv, or a year like this, when it's Shabbos, it was on the second day, everybody went up to the base of Mikdash again and brought another carbon, a carbon Eula, which was for the mitzvah of Re'iyah meaning the privilege of coming into the base of Mikdash and being seen by Hashem. So another mad rush of every single Jew, everyone brought this carbon. And you also had to have the regular suitors of Yantiv as well. That, you know, everything that we do also, they had to do. I'm sure everybody used plastic or paper. <laughs> you know, that, that, that much they did. But that's what we need to think of when we lay in the parasha of Parah. What a different level of preparation was required when... Pesach was celebrated in the way it was meant to be celebrated in Yerushalayim with the carbon Pesach and the Beis HaMikdash. There is an interesting connection between Para Aduma and Pesach as well. Para Aduma is famously called a chayk, as the parasha begins. There's chukas that's why the parasha is called chukas. And chayk means a command, a command that we don't understand. And we keep it simply because we're commanded to. And, and Para Aduma is the uh, you know, the, 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 the greatest example of that, no one was able to understand, understand that even Shlomo HaMalach understood everything, couldn't understand Paraduma. So it's the, 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 the extreme example of a chayk. But Karvin Pesach is also called a chayk. It says in two places, Zayz Pesach. It's called a chayk. But of all the mitzvahs in the Torah, Karvin Pesach is the most understandable and it's the most reasons are given for it in the Torah and we're meant to explain it, ask questions, understand, of all the mitzvahs, this is the only one that the Torah obligates us to understand why we do it. So why is the Torah calling it a chayk? It's brought because Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim. He skipped over our houses. He saved us. The word Pesach means both saved and skipped over. The carbon Pesach was brought by, brought by the Jews in Mitzrayim as well. And it was their method of showing their gratitude. And we do the same. What about Pesach as a chayk? So I saw a, a beautiful pshat in a safer called Shirafa de Pischa from Rav Yitzchak Schwartz, who's a, a Rebbe in, in Mansi. He says, how is it that we keep chukim, commandments, that we don't understand at all? Why would we do something that we can't relate to and doesn't make sense to us? It's not natural. But we do it because we trust the person, the one, I should say, commanding us. We trust that Hashem is commanding us for a good reason. And more than that, we know Hashem loves us and we love Hashem. So we're happy to do what He commands us for that reason alone, without any explanation offered. 
It's essentially what the whole of Kali Yisrael declared when they said Nasa Vinishma. Explanation, not secondary for us. We love learning and understanding, but it's not the basis of our service. When Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim as well, it didn't make any sense. We didn't deserve it. The decree time hadn't arrived yet. We were almost equivalent to the Mitzrayim in the sense that we were serving idols. The Medrash goes through that Klai Yisrael asked Moshe, how can Hashem take us out? The time hasn't come. They told the Ramavina 400 years. Moshe Rabbeinu asked Hashem, how could you take them out? They're being over to the Zara. All these questions were asked, and the answer Hashem gave, and the answer Moshe Rabbeinu gave was, Hashem will take us out nonetheless. He won't look at what we did. He won't look at the decree. He'll work around it inexplicably. Why? Laman Shmei Ba'ava. Simply because of Hashem's tremendous love for us. So Pesach, which is the essence of our relationship with Hashem, our birth as a nation of Hashem, is founded on chayk, something which defies explanation, and at the same time needs no explanation, because it's done out of the same love which Hashem exhibited to us. So in that way, the carbon Pesach, or the relationship that Pesach represents, is founded on chayk. Hashem loves us without any explanation, without any reason, without being based on reason, and we love Hashem without need for a reason, without need for explanation. And in that way, the chayk of Pesach is equivalent to the chayk of, of, of Parah Duma. This parasha, which tells, of, uh, tells us of how Nadav and Avihu passed away tragically, requires us to learn how to live with chayk. Their death was a national tragedy. Now, obviously, it was terrible for Aaron Akain, but at the same time, think of what it meant to Kal Yisrael. It was, it was at the height of the Simcha, of building of the Mishkan, where Hashem demonstrated that He had truly forgiven them for the hate of the Egel and accepted them once again. Hashem rested His Shekhinah on the Mishkan, and the joy was till the heavens. We can't even begin to understand what kind of Simcha there was. And then, Nadav and Avihu, on that day, the future leaders of Kalanisra, the greatest men, after Moshe and Aaron, they die tragically. The whole nation is plunged into mourning. What a confusing message this was for everyone. What does Hashem want from us? Has He forgiven us or not? What does this mean? And this was chayk at its essence, at its most powerful and at its most difficult. And how did they survive such a test? There's only one way if we know and believe how much Hashem truly loves us, then we can accept it, and then we can live with it. And that is the message of Chayk. That's the message in the parasha, the message of Para Duma, and the underlying message of Karben Pesach as well. Have a good night and a wonderful Shabbos.